0: and welcome to a September sewing special of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage in the most electable patterned shirt that I am having such a fear of missing out about. We have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist.
1: I have to say this morning, Thordis Frederiksen, that you look so sunny on this, what is really a bit of a dreary, dreary start to the day. But I do hear that we are in for a mini heat wave. So, you know, don't put your shorts away yet. (laughs) Over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Frederiksen looking absolutely bonny, blooming and bloody wonderful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It has been said these dungarees look a bit like uh, a tablecloth. I think... You probably could happily lay them down as a picnic blanket, but I'm never happier than when dressed like a, a piece of upholstery, a curtain, a tablecloth. So, um, <laughs> I'm I'm well aware of it. If that's what you're looking at the screen and thinking, but I'm hoping I was this... coveting
1: those, and they're going to make napkins out of them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they would make many napkins. as is quite a yeah, big set of dungarees. Oh, I see. Now, the reason we thought we would do this September sewing special is partly for my benefit, because I've been building up a whole list of things that I want to sew in terms of making my life easier um, and giving my sort of spreading my jobs out so that as I get busier and busier with an ever more hectic small person, I can fit things in. Obviously, lots of you very busy. So this this works for you as well. Um, But I, I had a thought process started by the wonderful Jane Ann Walton. You must follow her on Instagram if you don't already for her fabulous Norfolk garden and all the wonderful plants she grows. But she has had the most astonishing array of the Papaver Amazing Grey this year. Best, I think, the best examples of this storm stormy sky poppy that I've ever seen. And she said the key was to sow it in September, which she
1: got from you, Mr. Gray, a top piece of advice. Yeah, well, we uh, you see, um, there are certain areas of the garden here, namely the desert wash, where we rely on the hardy annual, and that's an Acheltsy or the Californian bobby. Now there's interesting. You can buy them in double forms, single forms, many, many different colored forms, but if you grow them and they self-sow and self-pollinate, they will gradually revert to the ordinary orange one, which is absolutely delightful anyway. But we rely on that in the desert to start our flowering very early. So self-sown Ashholtziers, which are hardy annuals, they will stand the winter and then they will start flowering in April. Those that start flowering in April will then produce the seed by July. So we allow them to scatter a little seed before taking the old plants out. Meanwhile, there will be some spring germinated ones that will start blooming later in the year. So you can see how we're getting this rolling tide, if you like, of a continual flowering from a different generation. So one generation follows another. And so I've noticed that um, plants that, hardy annual plants anyway that germinate in the autumn and spend the winter providing it's not freezing freezing cold um and you know they're they're ready to grow in the spring they make much beefier much bushier plants and you get a better quality of bloom and i did it last year with cornflowers and the cornflowers that i sowed I, i i did what i actually did i made some filled some seven seven centimeter pots with compost I then put a pinch of cornflowers in each one, no more than two or three seeds. Cornflowers are quite big seeds, so you can actually do that quite easily. And then I just let them, put them them in the shade, let them germinate. As soon as they germinated, I brought them out into the full light to keep them stocky. And when they had actually filled their pots or they got enough root in their pot, I planted some into the garden and others I used as pots. Um, And these are very useful because... I just mentioned that they start flowering in April and April is a, is kind of a, a barren month. You've got daffodils, you've got you know, you've got tulips if you've got pots of things, and you've got hyacinths and things like that, and maybe the odd viola or two. Um, but to actually have a pot of cornflowers in flower that early, and if you put three pots, three plants into a 10 inch pot or 12 inch pot make sure that you give them good compost so they've got a good growing conditions make sure you stake them because otherwise they flop all over the place but you know three little stakes around and some natural colored twine two or three bands of that um make sure you water and feed them and you know you've got pots of plumptiousness for very little <laughs> <laughs> but it all it takes is this little bit of forethought you know because I think the trouble with lots of the lots of gardeners, their psyche is the fact that they go on holiday and they come back and the garden's looking a mess because nobody's in there to chitterbait. And they tend to sort of think, oh, well, I'll, I'll do that next year. Um, and there's this awful phrase where, where some people say, I'm putting the garden to bed. Well, you shouldn't put your garden to bed because there's too much happening in the dark months that's really interesting. And, you know, okay, we don't have swathes of dahlias, but we wouldn't want swathes of dahlias every year. What better is it to have a nice, demure little crocus, or perhaps—dare I even mention the word—galanthus, a snowdrop?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you started already. I am. <laughs> Galanthomania well, is kicking off
1: in mm. September. Well, we all we all know that we all know it does. Um, yeah, I've well, I mentioned, I mentioned cornflowers. Do you want to mention anything that you particularly?
0: do i do i well that so makes, obviously that's a yes everybody <laughs> <laughs> obviously amazing gray is up there because i am um, i've i really would love to have the caliber of plant that that jane ann walton had this is the thing september sowing not only earlier blooming but just that that potential for a plant to hopefully if the winter doesn't knock it back and I've got to say um, I've in terms of a Schultziers uh, calendulas I'm always astonished even last winter there were a that survived in my front garden which is baked but gets a cold wind whip along the road yeah and and yeah. not all of them but one or two have managed to to pull through they're probably a bit later than they would have been otherwise and um, so even though you kind of worry if we have a horrible winter that you're going to lose all of these things that you've sown well Hopefully you won't because they're hardier than we think. And secondly, Hmm. of course, you've got the other opportunity in the spring to sow again. But if they don't get knocked back too hard by the winter, you've got this wonderful root system to power on this lovely, strong plant. And certainly that's what what I've found from September sowing in the past.
1: You mentioned um, this wonderful poppy, amazing grey, and it is amazing because of its colour, but I don't like it. (laughs) It reminds me of Miss Havisham. You know, poor old Miss Havisham. She spent her life in her wedding dress with this dusty old cobweb-ridden wedding cake in front of her and all the rest of it. And she hated men and she was horrible to Pip and all the rest of it. Definitely not you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean you know there are poppies other than amazing gray you don't have to just have amazing gray because no. shirley poppies they come in um, a wonderful wonderful range of colors and it's interesting in actual fact that they all came from the original corn poppy really mm-hmm. and it was the um uh, what was his name reverend um i can't remember his just name just go with, what was he the reverend of shirley no he well he was Rebbin. he lived in Shirley in, yeah. in Surrey and that's where the Shirley poppies uh, were, were named. He selected the colors. Um, so there was uh, suddenly um, a corn poppy that was slightly lighter or paler and he saved the seed from that and then robed out all the red ones. So we gradually got to this um, to the stage where we're at today where we as well as amazing gray, which is an incredible color I have to say because it's so um it's so what, what should I say? it's so unpoppy like I guess um but you know there are all the other lovely sort of soft colors as well um sort of kind of biscuity creams and bright pinks and pale um lavender colors and yeah. all those sort of things i mean you know so you don't have to have the gray one if you don't want to
0: on a different know, line like like um people. i assume you could, could you september so ladybird poppies i've never tried that yes but-
1: you can yes you can i mean they uh Papava commutatum i mean the 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 ladybird poppy, is um, a, a gem of a thing. Once you've got it in the garden, providing you're not too too meticulous with your weeding, you should be able to save one or two.
0: I could and never I think, be criticised for you know, being too meticulous with my weeding.
1: <laughs> well, you know, some people are. Some people can't bear to see a single little blade of grass out of the way. And if I, if they see a weed in my garden, they're very quick to tell me. Um, I won't take any notice. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, my, my mind isn't like that. I mean, there's, there's room for everybody.
0: Um, I'm too far the other way. I I agree that um, more editing would be welcome where I grow, but I I love to just, I cannot bear the thought of missing out on something self-sown. I think that's my thing. And I've been rewarded at the allotment because this triffid of a sunflower, um, which I suppose is testament to when things self-sow themselves in the autumn. I mean, it is unbelievable it's like a small tree it is so multi-bloomed it dwarfs every sunflower that I grew from seed in the spring and it's brought me and all the other allotmenteers so much joy I mean the person next door turned up and said oh that sunflower I could have grown anything I could have had the most prized veg on my plot not that I have but the sunflower has stolen the show
1: Sunflowers always steal the show, I think, you know, you, we occasionally see fields of sunflowers in this country and they always raise a smile and they're, they're lovely things to grow. They're great things for children to grow because they're simple and quick and easy. I'll bear that. Um, and if you want to do, <laughs> yeah, if you want to do height, we'll do height. But I think there are some of the loveliest ones today are the multi-headed plants that give you a little bit extra um, blooming time and all the rest of it. So I mean, yes, they're a great plant, but I think they are um, sunflowers. I would say are s- a spring yeah. sowing, not not a winter sowing. No, no. no un-
0: unfortunately, um, I suppose you just have to wait and see what nature does on that front. If a little seed happens to be yeah. nestled there and uh, and germinates.
1: You know, you, right time. If, you keep, if you keep your eyes open at the start of 2024, when spring starts in March and you look around, I remember we were driving through, Um, it was, uh, it was Fakenham actually, a little town in Norfolk called Fakenham and we were driving through Fakenham and we just driving through and I mean I'm a nosy person I love to look into the driveways and you know especially if you've got a nice piece of old architecture I want to have a look and see and there was this driveway into this house a gravel driveway into this house in the middle of Fakeman. and on the sides of the gravel drive there were pot marigolds and they were just starting to flower in March and I just thought well they must have been there the whole winter that is fantastic and you know that wonderful bright orange I mean they reverted to their original sort of Types of a, a, a lovely bright orange and a, a great show, I think, at, at that time of the year. <laughs> Talking about self-sown plants, we were clearing an area yesterday um, where we hope to have a trial uh, for the next three years of hydchiums or gingers, um, which will be exciting to do. And w- Graham and I were there and discussing edging the beds and you know what we're going to do and everything. And uh, he said, "What's that?" And there's this enormous tall plant with these spear-like leaves, and it's a self-sown. But what is it? A Nephophia. So it's a red-hot poker that we didn't put in that. There's never been Nephophias in that area of garden. I mean, it is surrounded by hedges and completely divorced from the rest of the garden. Um, and so how did it get there? Who knows? It deserves to stay.
0: Oh, sure it does. I mean, self-sowing, I suppose... Uh, leads us down this slightly if you have a forked path of September sowing you've got the things that will readily germinate and then over winter and I suppose you've got the other things where you sow them and you're basically kind of sitting and waiting and hoping that the winter cold will will stratify them will yeah. do hard work that you otherwise would have to do by hopping them in and out of the fridge certainly um breezer uh the sort of quaking grass yeah. I um forgot that i chucked some seed down in the front garden because i hoped to have a little bit little ended up with quite a lot of it uh, chucked some seed down forgot then obviously winter did its work and at some point this year i was like what is all of this grass that's turned up in my front garden and then yeah. realized i'd put it there uh, but there are there, there are some of the things i would like to try at the allotment in a little cut flower patch so some things well, that probably won't that. do anything yeah. until next year but hopefully will save me some work um, uh, if I get them in in September, maybe they'll they'll do their own sort of stratifying and germinate when next year. When we,
1: when we mentioned this, I, I actually put two things together. One was Briza maxima, which is the quaking grass, which you've just been talking about, and this really is for cutting. I mean, they're decorative enough anyway, but if you want to have a um, a, a row cutting material, and the other was Ami majus and Ami visnaga, both of them will make much better, more vigorous, and um, Taller, I mean, you might not want taller, but I mean, you know, more heads for cutting if, they, if they're sown in the autumn. But you don't want to be too late. I mean, today we're recording this as the 1st of September. It's the first day of autumn. Um, and we're in for a heatwave next week. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ideal time. Another lovely grass, is which is, I think, ideal for the cutting garden is Hordium jubatum, the squirrel grass. Um, it, it, you know, it's just one of those things that is lovely. And don't forget when you're thinking about cutting flowers, um, the annual delphinium larkspur. Mm. It's I think its proper name is Consolida, um, but all the lovely larkspurs you can get. I mean, you get them in white, pinks, purples, blues, um, light blue, dark blue, and so on and so forth. And if you want to, I'm not saying you have to, but they're slightly out of fashion at the moment, but they're one of the flowers that you can actually dry very well. Mm. What you do is you pick them out, pick them, as they're about to open their buds and they're showing some colour, hang them upside down. Uh, Don't bunch them too close together. Individual stems, if you can. Hang them up and let them dry somewhere where they, you know, an open shed or um, a porch or something like that. Um, And, you know, you get the most wonderful natural bunch of flowers for the the whole winter, if you want that.
0: Mm. Well, talking (laughs) of, of drying things, of course, seed heads, well worth, like I suppose with the quaking grass, growing things that give you beautiful seed heads. Nigella, obviously one of them, and there are lots of different uh, Nigellas. I think I'm going to try Delft Blue for the first time uh, at my allotment because I've not grown that one before. Um, But I also I haven't grown it for a couple of years, but the Scabia stellata, the little ping pong, the, the wonderful all seed heads um they're so perfect and i've never grown enough to have them in any kind of arrangement i've just sort of had a plant in the garden but that's one i'm hoping to try from a september sowing and then just sort of see uh what happens
1: the other thing because we haven't mentioned it even but we're um a plant we haven't mentioned yet but um we will it's um for cutting anyway sweet peas yes have you got if you're growing sweet peas, it's worthwhile making yourself um, making a very rich bed for them if you can. So if you if you can take a, a trench out about two spades depths, um, and if you line the bottom with some really really well rotted manure, because peas are peas are very deep rooted plants, and they will actually that's why you sow them in in root trainers, those long slim root trainers, so that the roots go down, um, which defeats the object to me when you see sweet pea seedlings for sale they're crammed into a tiny little flat pot um and you think well what's the point of them people will probably tell me i'm wrong but i don't <laughs> think I'm... but anyway if you make your trench and you and line it with and you know an old trick is to also line the tret line the trench with with newspaper because newspaper the only reason is because it it retains the moisture and it gradually rots down, but it does retain moisture because the one thing that sweet peas want, if they're to carry on for a long time, is plenty of moisture. Now mine didn't get it this year, so we had a we had a very prolific but very short season. And you know, if you don't give them water, the stems get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until they oh this tiny little bit. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's another one. But I mean, the list is endless of plants that you can sow in the autumn. Um, I think that corn cockles is another good thing. Oh,
0: I love and, corn cockles. Yeah, well,
1: Agrostemma, um, there's a lovely, lovely white flower one, which has almost like a little black eye. And if you sow that, and I saw it grown in a garden, which I and I thought it was a delightful way of growing it. And there were clumps of about 10 or 15 plants together. All the way down the border so you have this lovely flash of white all the way down the border at regular intervals and It's a good trick actually if you've got a longish border is to actually have a plant that continually repeats itself down the length of the border because it takes your eye towards the end and you can play about with your colors in between the clumps of whatever it is
0: well it's actually something i was thinking of doing with maybe the ladybird poppy is having clumps of them along the edge of the allotment so that you just Mm. get that little splash of red along. I've done it with, um, with borage this year. So as you pointed out, me and all the other allotmenteers will have copious quantities of borage (laughs) for the rest of our allotmenteering lives. But it has been lovely, actually, just those lovely, such a glorious blue borage. So to have that sort of right along the edge of the, the plot was, was a joy.
1: We did it with, with, um, nasturtiums this year which i'm afraid have been because this year has been um relatively moist uh the nasturtiums have grown rather too lush so the flowers are all underneath the, the leaves which happens when the soil is rich and everything else we grew them as an aging in the vegetable garden um and also they became a sacrificial m- lunch for the the large white butterfly which feasts on brassicas um so that meant that they didn't look very nice for very long <laughs> They were doing a job they were doing a job
0: I was very jealous, actually, because you had a very beautiful peachy nasturtium in your, which went lovely yeah. in the calendula mix.
1: I'll tell you a little tip because um, I learned this because we have a couple of old fashioned double flowered nasturtiums and um, double flowered nasturtiums are sterile. So you don't get any seed from them at all. I suppose they occur as a sport. And how do you grow that sport? We grow it from a cutting. And that's how you have to put, reproduce the double flowered nasturtiums. But it means you can do it with single flowered nasturtiums as well. So if you have a mixed bag of nasturtiums and there's one colour that you particularly like and you would want to have that, not the others, um, you just propagate it from cutting material it's very very easy they root like bilio i mean it, it's very very quick um so once you've got one plant you're away and you can have an edging which is frightfully smart my dear because nobody else has it
0: <laughs> i actually did that i don't think he was ken aslett in the end but i uh, i had the um the tropiolum ken aslett uh, and... uh, uh
1: yeah tr- um tuberosa
0: yes. yes there we go <laughs> I couldn't yeah, remember yeah. which one, uh, but that I was growing indoors and it got too tall for my space. So I, I cut it, pinched it out and used that as a cutting and or yeah. a couple of cuttings. And that was, um, I mean, I've, I've killed all now, but at the time I had more.
1: <laughs> more. It's worth mentioning, I think, because Tropiolum tuberosum, um, the variety, um, of climbing, related to a climbing nasturtium with red and orange flowers, very, very late in the season. Slightly glaucous, um, mm. sort of almost clover-like fl- like leaves in a funny sort of way, and they have the propensity to push their new rhizomes up to the surface of the soil, and there'll be this sort of kind of watery looking thing, which is purple on one side and yellowy green on the other. Um, the Strain to get is Ken Aslett, and Ken Aslett was named after a propagator, I think, at Kew, and Ken Aslett actually sowed some seed of this um, Tropium tuberosum, which normally starts flowering in October, which is really too late for, very, for anybody to bother with. Um, but one of the plants that he sowed started flowering in July, and so he separated that plant and he grew it, and named it after himself Ken Aslett, or it was named by somebody else probably after him, after Ken Aslett, and that one should be the one that we buy as Ken Aslett, But I'm afraid that, I almost said unscrupulous nurseryman. It probably is just a mistake. Um, But people think that they've got Ken Aslett and they haven't got Ken Aslett. and you go and pay good money, five pound note for a pot of, this um tuberose tropiolum tuberosum and it probably doesn't flower until late i mean i got one that i bought the Ken as let and it's not
0: no well i think (laughs) because it's not that easy to get hold of i bought mine on ebay and therefore uh you can easily see how it probably wasn't the right one but i think because you don't see them everywhere you sometimes have to sort of search high and low and then they're out of stock in the places you want to get them so you buy them somewhere else and then they're not what you want so the best
1: thing to do is to be find um um Find a nurseryman who has the mother plant and make sure that your tubers come from that mother plant because I mean they make copious quantities of tubers every year, and all you've got to do is harvest them, pop them in a pot, and then sell them. Um, but if you can find out that that it is the right one, it then it's a very good plant to have.
0: Unfortunately, last winter did for any of mine that were left outside. So um yeah. I don't have it anymore, but one day I will see, I'll have the is, right this one.
1: Is, this is the thing, this is what's happened after this. Um this winter, this last winter and we were talking yesterday with the trials people and you know one of the chats put it very succinctly when he said that the problem was we'd had this very long dry summer which forced plants into a form of hibernation if you like um they'd shut down because there was no moisture so they couldn't grow and then we had autumn arrived and autumn arrived with warm rains and warm days and everything thought oh wait we're waking up so they thought it was spring so that everything starts growing. I'm, I'm thinking in particular plants like hebes, for instance. Mm. Um, <coughs> and they had all this lovely lush growth on them. And we went right the way through into November and to the end of November. And then December came, bang, we were hit by frosts. I mean, we had minus four very briefly in the garden here, which we haven't had for years. I know that in, in Cambridgeshire, for instance, where you are, you had a lot, lot worse than that. Oh.
0: It was brutal here. Yeah, uh, days, yeah. days and days of minus temperatures. And I know yeah, and I, and I think around here it was hot. In Cambridge
1: Botanic Garden, they lost quite a few hebees and things like that. Um, although, of course, some of the plants that, that you would think would die didn't die, um, but lots of them did. And it was just one of those unfortunate things. Let's hope yeah. it doesn't happen every year. No.
0: And uh, of course, we have no idea what's coming with this winter. So who knows what might happen to some of our September sowings. And I will come to a few more things. <laughs> I want to try in a second. But when we talk to Eastern Walled Gardens about sweet peas, I know she mentioned that she might fleece some of the peas that she's sown in, say, October to give them a bit more uh, sort of protection if it is particularly cold or just to give them a bit more even temperatures so they don't get knocked back. Uh, I suppose if you're growing something and you're worried about it, if you've got you know a cutting patch and you've sown something, you could just fleece over the top to... to yeah, of carbon. course.
1: Yeah, I mean that would be an ideal thing to do if you have um, a frost forecast. I mean, my grandmother used to use lace curtains, believe it or not. Um, and if you had a late spring frost over plants like your currant bushes or something like that, um, I remember she could red currants and white currants as well as the black currants. Um, but we used to have to go out and, we, we, you know, everybody had lace curtains at their windows in those days, and it was a granny thing, and they were proper old sort of heavy lace not like the filmy nets that you get today um but they you know they were usually used to drape over and you know i come from a time when it was make do and mend and recycling was a thing that you did naturally you didn't even think about it um but you 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 repurposed all these lovely new words i'm learning
0: (laughs) you were upcycling the net curtains
1: (laughs) i was upcycling the net curtains and and Boy, did they work. You know, that was the great thing. They did actually keep the keep the worst of the frost off. So, yes, by all means, fleece your seedlings.
0: I'd love to think I'm going to do that. It seems unlikely, but I will have the concept that I might fleece some of these seedlings.
1: But you've got an allotment. I mean, you know, you, there there are things that you can grow on your allotment as well for eating.
0: Yes. Uh, do you know, and it's um, funny how I have tried and I have had quite a lot of beans, a little bit of squash many courgettes mm. thank goodness I only have one courgette plant um I'm trying to take I've made na- <laughs> I've made zoodles zoodles are well worth trying if you've never noodled your courgette um through a mandolin or whatever it, I wasn't convinced it was going to work but actually I had it with some prawns and things through it, and it was surprisingly tasty for my lunch one day so I've been trying to come up with well, every yeah, way I, possible I, I think... to use up zucchini you
1: see I have a thing about courgettes and I I, I really do I have yet to find a recipe that that uh, that makes a courgette taste of anything. It, to me, courgette b- borrows f- flavors from other other ingredients, much as lots lots of squash varieties do. Um, and I think if I mean, it came to me just then. I mean, if you've got little, if you're making a sauce, which is with a bit of a hint of chilli and tomato in it, um, and you put that through courgettes, and if you have the luxury of prawns added to it as well, well, of course you've got a delicious dish. Um, <laughs>
0: yes. Admittedly, the prawns probably were doing more for that dish than the the courgette, but (laughs) I think courgette so often, my problem is I overcook it so that there is a a sort of gentle flavour if you leave it pretty crisp. And actually, um, somebody, I I was trying to think of ideas of what to do with it, and someone suggested making some of these zoodles and just put a few of them through your pasta to sort of make your carb-heavy meal a little healthier, which I thought was a nice idea. You cook your pasta. For the last minute, you chuck in a few of these sort of bits of courgette and then mix them through the pasta just so that it's less carby. Not that that that's probably something I'm after. If you you
1: wanted to look less messy, you could actually do shavings of courgette which would be quite thin and they'd be a little bit wider so they would contrast with the shape of you're using spaghetti or something like that and it
0: is quite pretty when you get the skin and you get that lovely dark green and pale green together it was quite attractive so that was one of my favorite things apart from obviously courgette cake courgette and lime like they serve in the East Ruston tea room Uh, that was probably (laughs) my favorite thing I did with the courgettes but no I have been growing edibles um but i when it's come to this september sewing i'm so excited about what i can do on the flower front i've not even really thought about the food front so hit me with ideas on that side of things
1: well there's quite a few i mean there's there's lettuce for instance i mean you keep going lettuce um, and if you're, I think, there's is, is an old lettuce called Webs Wonderful. Now, I don't know whether that would come from a September sowing, but I know that it's one of the very fragile lettuces that you won't find anywhere in supermarkets because it doesn't travel, it falls to pieces. So you've got to cut it and bring it carefully home and wash it and, you, and eat it. But it has the, the most lovely flavour and the, the most lovely crunch but there's cut and come again salad salad leaves and things like that don't forget to pop a little bit of rocket in as well because you get that little punch of pepperiness that adds so much to your flavor oriental greens i mean mm. pak choy, mizuna bok choy mustard um all of those you can you can use those i mean and you can cook with them or you can i mean people say things like stir fry and i think oh how boring
0: <laughs> stir fry <laughs>
1: it was i think they're two of the most awful words to use in the in the culinary dictionary stir fry well that's just me but but, you know you can stir fry anything if the leaves are young enough i mean they don't have to mean i mean you could use fennel you could use spinach Mm -hmm. you could use the tops of radishes don't forget to throw a few peas as well because pea shoots they make a lovely garnish, but they also taste wonderful in a in a salad. Yeah, um, they're probably not the things you want to waste your money on in the supermarket. Um, and you know that if you grow them yourself, they're fresh. The other thing that I would try now is some Florence fennel mm-hmm. because Florence fennel, um, you know that you really need to sow that when the after the longest day, and it bulks very quickly, it runs up to seed very quickly. If it doesn't get enough moisture or if it's too hot, well, this time of the year, it's certainly not too hot, um, but it will it will germ, germinate and grow well for you. But you might not get those big, lovely, lovely big round bulbs that we uh, taste of aniseed and they're so lovely, um, but you'll get small ones. And you, I mean, again, you can chop them in salads or you can use the bulb, you know, chop the bulb up into, into sizable pieces. Um, cook it in some butter and a little water in the oven, braise it very slowly until it's unctuous. And then you drain the water off and you put a little bit of grated Parmesan cheese over it and melt it and moi. Oh,
0: you making <sighs> me hungry. It was early more in more. the morning, but... <laughs> <laughs> the reason I laughed so much about the stir fry is because I quite liked the idea, as I was growing this season, of trying to grow as much of a stir fry as possible at the allotment, because you know, yeah. you've know you got your spinach and I didn't grow baby corn, but I thought, oh, next year I could try baby corn and some sugar snap peas and all of these things that I like to put into a stir fry. I was thinking did about you, using did. that as inspiration for what I grew, because then I did would- you grow sweet corn?
1: It. I grew sweet grew- corn, normal corn. Well, you can just shave the cobs off, yeah. shave the kernels off the cob, I mean, and, and chuck those into a stir fry. I tell so, you what else.
0: What I've been getting very excited about is um the the baby has just started weaning, and uh, and we're I won't get too much into it, but we're going for a bit more of a baby led weaning approach, which is where you kind of let them get hold of things like a big hunk of steamed broccoli and play with it. And so I'm trying to grow things for Theo to play with. So there's a whole kind of he's been there at the allotment while I'm growing it. And then he can muck about with it and make his first forays into the world of food with stuff that we've grown. That makes me very happy. So I have to this is stated. This,
1: this is by osmosis, isn't it? Because he's not going to remember. all. That. No. You know, I mean, it, is, it makes me it? happy, though. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the one thing I, I said to somebody the other day, I mean, one of the one of the one of our senses I think that takes you back to another place and it, it happened the other day the last day of BBC Radio Norbert's garden party I went into the studio and I hadn't been into the studio for two years and I walked into the studio and it was like going back to school the smell do you know what I mean yeah. it was that it was so evocative of those studios and the smell when you went back to school is exactly the same um and smell I think is something probably that babies will it, it will it will, it will go into the brain somehow or other, and it's something that he will remember. He won't remember how, what, where, when or why, but it will be alike.
0: And I will say what's interesting, because obviously you typically think about just spoon feeding a baby and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're doing. No judgment at all. I just read a lot about baby lead and I wanted to give it a go. And when stuff's on a spoon, he is way less interested in it than when I hand him something that he can really explore and play with and he obviously puts it in his mouth because everything goes in his mouth. <laughs> so it's 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 been an interesting experiment in how to get him enthused about food uh it's Um, also quite terrifying to be honest (laughs) the
1: caveman mentality there
0: (laughs) (laughs) now back to the flowers um Mm. i suppose really the remaining things i would like to talk about are in a flomo category so floral or plant-based fear of missing out things that i have seen in seed lists and catalogs and thought oh i'd like to try those but i've been trying to focus on things that may possibly come from a September sowing because it will save me work. Uh, one of them is Euphorbia coralloides, which according to the Chilton Seed website can be in flower from January to December, if it is happy. Um, splendid for cut flower use and obviously that wonderful acidic Euphorbia pop of color to a, be a foil to all the other things you grow, um, I, I think would work from a September sowing. So that's something that I'm very keen to try there are other riskier things which might not work so astrantia major the white one
1: a uh, shaggy i think no, yeah a larger fish called it shaggy yeah. I'm shaggy
0: which um I saw something similar possibly that at coat and Manor Garden the other day uh which was glorious the Flamingo garden if you don't know it uh with flamingos actual flamingos in it beautiful planting amazing color combinations well Susie
1: Pashley Tyler who, who who is actually the key to that garden actually is a very clever lady and I know that I know her well and and I'd, I'd just like to put in a plug for coat and Manor so if anybody doesn't know it I mean it's a garden that's well worth with, worth mm. visiting and you will come away with that ideas and plants because they're very reasonable in the in the plants that they sell and it is a lovely garden well worth a visit in Northamptonshire.
0: Yeah wonderful wonderful garden just the colour the use of colour is phenomenal and anyway there's this gorgeous sort of stepping stone uh, bit that takes you from one level of the garden down to another and there are I think seriously edited estrangeas to make sure that the the white and the green um, aren't muddied by anything else. And so they're sort of in cracks mm. and they're coming up amidst the stone and there's loads of ferns. Susie loves her ferns. So there's a lot of fern flow went on while I was there. But it did make me think that actually in terms of trying a little row at the allotment, I think the recommendation would be to do a September sowing in pots. But I'm just going to try it in the ground and see how it copes. I've also been having a lot of Alstroemeria League 2 hybrid flomo. I saw some glorious pictures of the gravel garden at Beth Chattos on Instagram and thought, oh, yes, I'd like some more of that in my life. But of course, there is the winter cold to worry about and it is an exposed allotment site. So whether or not I can, A, get any success, B, manage to get it through its first winters, I can try mulching it, I can try fleecing it, I suppose. So that's something I'm gonna try, but I suppose watch this face mm. over whether it's pointless.
1: Well, you know, we here, um, we did a, Ian actually did this, um, a, an experiment the other day, uh, the, no, it was about three years ago, actually, the other day, but it was the other day to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we had um, great success with the Alstroemerie called Indian Summer, which is the lovely orange one with the dark bronzy foliage. Um, and we couldn't buy plants of it anywhere, plugs or anything like that, you see. And so Ian said, well, I'm going to have a go at digging it up and dividing it and see what happens. And he did, and he divided it up into, into sizable clumps. We didn't pull it all apart because Alstramier is basically hate root disturbance. And generally the books will tell you not to bother because they, you won't succeed with them. But we did them in sizable clumps and we potted them into three litre pots and they worked wonderfully well. And I don't think it's just that variety. So I would say to anybody, if you've got an alstroemeria and you, it's in the wrong place or you want to make more, do have a go at dividing it. Grow it on in pots for a little while so that it gets re-established before you plant it out because, you know, that will help it yeah. um, because it gets established in the pot and the roots are all in that lovely soil. Um, and once they're growing, you can plant them wherever you like. And we did it and it was very successful. So I think that's something I would recommend everyone to have a go with.
0: And anyone worried about um, Alstroemeria hardiness, so, Indian summer, people have been saying for years to me that it's hardy and I bought one and I was worried about it, came through last winter. And I don't hmm. think I actually remember to mulch it. So that's testament. Yeah, it's not, not a happy place to be in my front garden last winter and it managed to pull through.
1: Well, I think most plants, most plants want to live. I always tell myself this, that, you know, don't worry about plants too much. They don't want to die. They will do their utmost to live if they possibly can. And yeah, I, I firmly believe that.
0: And I think as particularly when you're sowing seed and I know it can get expensive, I always tell myself, Oh, it's such an economical way of growing things. And then I get to the bottom of my long list of things and it's become <laughs> extremely expensive. But well, technically you yeah, that you packet of seed is only going to be, you know, two to three pounds. And so it's yeah. not, that expensive an experiment, and if you've got enough seed in the packet, and of course, depending on what you're growing, some will have you know 15 seeds, and some will have 1500 seeds. But it will, it'll hopefully give you the opportunity to try some in September and some in spring. So it, it, the
1: other thing you can do, of course, is buy perennial plants in pox hmm. um, or you can dig them up from the garden. I had a, um, a Symphyotrichum, which is an aster, um, and I ha- this was growing in one of my troughs, and I bought it as that creeping aster that has white flowers that actually clings to the surface of everything. So it makes like a white waterfall in the autumn. And, but it wasn't, it was a three foot tall. Um, look at me, Job, you know, <clears> the <throat> most bright pink flowers you've ever seen. Um, and so I thought, well, it's got to come out. So I dug it out of the trough and this was probably in April or May and before it got too tall and I divided it and I got five pots from it. And now I've got five pots of this Sympyrotrichum or Aster, um, just opening its flowers, and I can put them in the garden wherever I like. But if you haven't got one to dig up from your own garden, when you're going around a nursery or a garden centre, have a look. You probably only need one pot, and if it's got more than sort of six or seven shoots, each one of those shoots will make a new plant. So divide it very carefully, pot them individually, and you either grow them on or plant them into the garden when they're big enough, or grow them on until you can see how they sit in their season in the garden. Mm. It's 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 well worth doing. I mean, this time of the year, I think dahlias, asters and sedums um, are three of the plants that are coming into their own season pro- probably. Dahlias may be going over if they were very, very early, but if you've got, you know, nurserymen continually propagate uh, dahlias from cuttings. So if you've got young cutting grown stock just coming into flower, do buy it because we've got September, we've got October, into november even you could still be having flowers and you'll make a tuber for next year's growth asters well we talked about them but they are easily divisible um so you can easily make more Hilo, Hilo telephium Hilo telephium <laughs> <laughs> that's sedum to you and me um i remember talking to beth Chatter one day in her garden and i said mine was almost- split open, the clumps always split open, and show their middles. I said, it's not a good look. She said, yes, but you didn't give them the Chelsea chop, did you? And I said, no. And she said, well, you should. But if you want to propagate them, when they're shooting, producing their new shoots in the spring, just take one or two shoots. Each one will make a new plant, however many you want. um, And then you root them in a tray of pure gravel. And this is all pure grit. This is what I do with them. And as soon as they start to make little roots after about three or four weeks, then pot them up. Because if you do it too early, you pot them too early and they haven't got roots, there's every um, chance that that succulent stem will rot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking a cutting is a race. It's a race between rooting or rotting. We don't want to do the latter. We want to do the former. So make it easy on yourself. Two other plants that I think worth a mention, but... Um, brightening up and extending the garden season. Brightening up, of course, is that lovely little um, Sternbergia lutea. Um, It's it's like a yellow crocus. But the one thing about it is if you buy dried bulbs of it in the autumn catalogue, sometimes um, if they're not grown from um, stock that flowers well, you could be waiting years and years and years and never see a flower. So it's best to get your stock from a nurseryman that's actually growing it. Um, I know that people at uh, Beth Chateau's nursery, they actually, culture comes to, they line them out and they grow them on until they're big enough so that you know you're getting what you should be getting. Hesperantha, another one that's changed its name. It used to be schizostalist or schizostalist or schizostalist, depending on your pronunciation. It doesn't matter. Um, it comes in a myriad of colors from whites through all sorts of pale pinks, salmon pinks, bright pinks to brilliant, brilliant red. And the one that I love is Hesperantha cassinia, um, which I think is a major. It has to have the major because that means it's a slightly bigger one. And the one thing about this is if I want to describe them, I would say they're like very, very small, dainty, elegant gladiolife flowers. And cassinia major is scarlet, but it will bloom almost up until Christmas. And if you haven't got cold glass, Um, you'll have to put up with that. But if you've got cold glass, why not grow them in a decent sized pot and have them in the garden until the weather starts to get a little bit too, well. the days get too short, put them under glass, they'll continually flower, keep flowering. And you may even perchance have enough to pick for Christmas, the Christmas table on Christmas Day. How's that? Oh,
0: what a thought. And what a thought to leave you with. Uh, We've strayed, I suppose, here and there, as usual uh, on our September sewing special who would have thought that we would squeeze in a tangent or two Alan
1: well who would have thought it I know the one thing I would say going back to sowing a seed or two if you buy a packet of seed sow half of it and keep half of it so you've got some to sow in the autumn and if they if they if they succeed wonderful if they don't succeed you can have another go in March next year
0: Yeah. I'm looking forward to experimenting with a few different things and I am sure you will hear about it in future episodes. I should say, fingers crossed, Talking Dirty is back week in, week out, but... Behind the scenes, it is fairly busy. So if there's the odd week when we don't make it, I apologise in advance. We will endeavour to show up every Wednesday at seven o'clock on YouTube and in all the podcasty places with all of the usual planty appreciation. Um, And until next time, I'm gonna go and put my seed order in
1: and get (laughs) sowing. Happy gardening, everybody! Happy gardening, everybody. Enjoy your seeds.
0: Hey, Thorde's here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.